Oh, this is my Bible, too. There you go. Awesome. So we started a few weeks ago a series on Ezra. We're still doing that. We're up to Ezra uh, chapter 4, uh, and we're going to begin uh, uh, this, the whole chapter uh, 4 of Ezra is about a deadly disease. In fact, uh, maybe the most deadly disease that Christians have. So in light of that, let me pray. Lord, uh, thanks today for loving us. Thanks for uh, bearing with us. Thanks for the fact that you are patient, you are compassionate, you are kind of Jesus. You came in humility uh, for us. Lord, you know we're weak. Uh, Many of us are tired, discouraged, frustrated, ready to quit. Um, And yet, uh, Lord, you never quit. So I pray that you would help us today. Uh, Open our eyes to uh, who you are and what it is you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we remember your people uh, and uh, the struggles that uh, your people have always had, I pray that you would lift our eyes. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screen uh, behind me. Uh, This is the word of God, and uh, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. That was about 150 years before uh, what we're reading about here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So um, what, what, I want, what I want to talk to you about today and probably over the next uh, three weeks is uh, probably the biggest detriment uh, to uh, believers, to Christians. You, one of the things, one of the things that happens to us, one of the things that comes at us all the time is, uh, the re, the reality of, uh, well, just living in a fallen and broken world, but not just living in a fallen and broken world, but living as a fallen and broken person in a fallen and broken world. And so what happens to us often is we have this expectation uh, that life is going to be one way and it's another way. That following Jesus is going to mean one thing, but it ends up meaning another, right? Uh, One of the things that I am amazed at is I think, really, most of the time, that following Jesus should look like uh, those commercials you see on TV for those 55-plus communities where everyone's beautiful, athletic, eating great food, drinking great wine, playing tennis at 95, you know, just... Just looking dynamic right on through, like, and, and everybody seems to be getting along, 
And it's just like, you know, that's what it, that, you know, that's what I signed up for. That's, 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 you know, that's, that should be what, uh, my life should be like. When in fact, what life really is about, uh, is struggle. Struggle. Um, and, and the struggle itself is not so bad. But the effect of the struggle on the people of God ultimately can have uh, devastating uh, effects. Uh, as, as Joe mentioned, we, were, we had the men's retreat. About 60-something of our guys were, uh, are, I guess many of them are returning today. Uh, it's a great, great weekend, uh, really, really outstanding. One, one, one of the best, I think, ever. Um, but the camp that we have the, um, the retreat in is tucked up uh, in uh, a hollow up in the mountains, and uh, the camp is uh, the gate to the camp's down here, and the last building of the camp is up here. And so you're either walking uphill or downhill. That's it. There is no there is no flat land. And so I'm I'm trying this year to run with the um, uh, the 10k training team, and so since I wasn't able to do that with them yesterday, I thought I'd run at the camp. I've done it before. We've had the we've had the retreats there many times before, and I know how far I want to run down and how far I want to run back. And in years past, hasn't been that big a deal. So this year, I'm out there running, and it takes me 24 minutes to get to my turnaround point, and it takes me 38 minutes to get back to where I started. Same distance, except the 24 minutes is like this. And the 38 minutes is like this or like that. So everything's fine. I'm running along and I'm coming up the hill and I'm like, this is a nightmare. Uh, not the least of which is I think, you know, if I, if I die out here, um, it's going to be at least an hour and a half before anybody drives down this road to find me. So that, that's going to be awesome. Do you ever think like that? Probably not. But uh, this is how I think. So if I die out here, you know, this is going to be, you know, maybe they'll build a building, memorial building to me in the camp or whatever. But me, if I die out here, this is, this, this is going to be this is going to be interesting. And the other thing I think is I need to remember, what is it you're supposed to do to run up uh, a hill that's three miles long? Well, what I remember is from, you know, uh, 30 years of subscribing to Runner's World is that you lean forward. And so I think, okay, I can do that. I can lean forward, lean into the hill, keep putting one foot uh, in, in front of the other. Uh, and that worked for a while. I got to the gate of the camp, and I'm ready to quit, uh, really ready to quit. Uh, and I remember something else from reading Runner's World for 30 years is that uh, your body actually can carry you further than your mind tells you you can go. Let me say that again. Your body actually has more uh, uh, energy, more uh, uh, umph in it than your mind tells you it has. And so I'm telling myself that. And that got me about 10 steps. Because <laughs> I don't have another mind. I'm stuck with this one <laughs> that's telling me to quit. Uh, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm to the camp now. I might run into some of the guys here and... 
you know, I don't really want to discourage them by me looking like I'm having a hard time. So I'm going to run, right? Uh, as a, uh, that's not true. The, the, I thought, I don't want them to see the old man out here having a hard time. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to gut it out to the end. So I did. Uh, the, the point of that is that uh, uh, most of what we will do uh, and most of the advancement that God has for his kingdom is going to come up against opposition and discouragement. If you're discouraged today, you are not unusual. If you're discouraged today, it shouldn't catch you off guard. If you are running into things that are frustrating and difficult and things are not going the way they're supposed to, the reality is that is the world in which we live. Right? Now, uh, one, of the, one of the things that happens to us about this is we think that we're unique in this. That no one has to deal with the discouragement like I have to deal with it. Right? Uh, my son, one of my sons called me last night and he's been promoted and he has all these things that he's in charge of and uh, millions of dollars of equipment and on and on and on. And he's talking and like, you know, believe it or not, I'm actually going to have to go in the office for a couple of hours on Super Bowl Sunday and I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to have to do that. And, you know, I encouraged him. Like, <laughs> welcome to adulthood, son. The next 40 years of your life are going to be like this. <laughs> yeah. And what, what are you doing? Why aren't you at work right now? He's like, Dad, Dad, I need a break. So anyway, the, the fact of the matter is that the reality is, listen, what I'm here to tell you is, is that being a follower of Christ involves struggle. It has always involved struggle and it will continue to involve struggle. And so what we're going to look at over the next several weeks is how uh, opposition and how the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people work this terrible sin, this terrible disease of discouragement into the hearts and the lives of the people. So, uh, uh, Colleen, go ahead and put, put my notes up there. So, the thing that we note about this text is, it opens up with, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard. We don't even know who these people are. We don't even know anything about them. But right off the bat, Ezra wants us to understand they're bad people. They're the enemies. We haven't been introduced to them before. We don't really know anything about them. And, and he's not even given us an opportunity to see, well, let's see if they prove themselves to be adversaries. No, they are adversaries. Uh, and I'm going to unpack that for you a little bit uh, later because that's very, it's very pointed, the reason why Ezra wants to do that. But it's also interesting to note that he says that when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard, because the chapter, the verse right before this, remember we talked about this last week, the giant worship service where everybody's shouting and screaming and crying at the laying of the cornerstone of the temple. The verse right before this says, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. The very next verse is, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard, 
So this worship service, I think Ezra is telling us something here. The work of God is going forward. The people of God are worshiping him. The, the, the design of God, the design of his creation, the design of his redemption, the faithfulness of God in bringing his people back is, is, is bearing fruit. The people are worshiping. The temple's being rebuilt and they're shouting in worship. And the worship of God is dynamic and beautiful and it gets the attention of the adversaries when they heard. Just imagine, you can imagine, they're thinking, what is going on over there? This ragtag group of people that returned here, they're out there having joy and they're out there experiencing this. Hey, we need to pay attention to this. So the worship of God, the work of God, immediately as it's going forward, draws the attention of enemies. Listen, listen, Uh, the work of God doesn't exist in the world. The work of the gospel, the proclamation that God is doing, it doesn't, it doesn't operate in a world where there is uh, no obstacle or no thing to stand against it. The fact of the matter is we struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil in ourselves and in the people around us and in the institutions around us all the time, all the time. And sometimes it's harder than others. Sometimes it's less, but the fact is, until we get to glory, there will be struggle, unless you quit. You quit. Right? Next slide. I brought a table with me today to show you something about what Ezra, Ezra's goal here is in this text. We're going to refer to this uh, um, chart a couple of times over the next several weeks. But what, what I have up here to, to show you is, is that this whole chapter is about the work of the enemies of the people of God to stop the work of the people of God. And we're going to go back and forth and we're going to refer to this over a, a, a number of times. But what, what you need to see here about this is, is that uh, the ordering that Ezra puts these events and these resistance operations that the enemies of the people of God put against them, this is not necessarily in chronological order, but it is in the order that Ezra is writing some 80 years after what we read here in the first four verses to communicate to his contemporaries that the resistance that you're meeting now, the opposition that you're meeting now, the thing that is keeping you from following after what it is that God has told you he wants you to do, all of those things, this has been going on for generations. This is nothing new, and we stand in solidarity with the people who came before who struggled with this. And so, and, and God hasn't changed. The enemies haven't changed. So what we're experiencing now with the opposition and the discouragement that comes our way is nothing new or even anything that is that much more profound than anything else that we've ever experienced before. So we're going to so you can see that this runs from 538 all the way um down to 423 the, the generation after generation there is resistance to the work of building the temple of God there in Jerusalem. Okay? Next slide. Um, so the, the fact is that uh, he wants us to understand and he wants uh, all of God's people over all of history to understand 
that discouragement may be in many ways our biggest enemy. Because what we read, uh, because it's so hard to overcome, the very last verse in chapter 24 is, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. They quit. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, right? They quit. And in fact, not only did they quit, but they took much of the material, the stone and the wood that they had ordered for the building of the temple, and they reappropriated it to build their own homes. Why? Because building the temple was hard. People lied, as we'll see. People intimidated them. People did all sorts of things to stop it, and the people let them stop it. Here's, here's the issue that, that is, that's, that's happening here is uh, these folks, weak, small, uh, beleaguered, um, they are very prone and quite able to be preyed upon by the lies and the intimidation of their enemies. Can you really do this? Do you really have permission to do this? Is the king really for you? Is your God that great? Can you accomplish this? You're pitiful. You're never going to amount to anything. Uh, your sin and your, your generational rebellion against God disqualifies you from being able to do anything. You're weak. Yeah, you know, the, any, any number of those things came against them, and the people begin to believe those things, and they begin to stop the work. I mean, nothing could be any more discouraging. I mean, in one chapter, we go from the people gathered together, screaming in worship, praising God as the cornerstone is laid, and within 24 verses, they quit. And the temple remains a ruin for two generations, and nothing goes forward, right? What is, you know... Maybe I'm discouraging you with the, with, the, with the story today, but this is a cautionary tale for us and something that we, we, we need to pay uh, very close attention to. So now we may ask the question like, well, who are these adversaries? Co- Colleen, ne- next slide, please. Who are they? And because it seems like they come onto the, the scene here and it would be like, hey, we need help. You know, well, let's, let's incorporate these people they, because they come and they say they approach Zerubbabel and the heads of father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days we got here, you know, the king from uh, Assyria who brought him there. The the fact is, as we hear that, you think, well, how can these people be enemies? Well, Ezra's writing this some 80 years later, and he's saying they proved themselves to be enemies. And one of the ways that we know that they proved themselves to be enemies uh, is the fact that, no, they really weren't worshiping God. They included the God of Israel in their worship, but they worshiped their, the, the gods that they had brought with them as well. Uh, and they thought, you know, let's hedge our bets and let's, let's get in on this big thing that's happening here. We can, we can help these people build their temple and still maintain our own religious and kind of uh, identity. Zerubbabel and the people there are like, no, we, you know, we're not going to do this. And so to prove... And to show what these people, what their real motivation is, the second Zerubbabel says no, what do they say? They, the, the land of the people discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. If they really wanted to help, 
And Zerubbabel said, no, what would they have done? They would say, no, 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 no. Let us show you by our faithfulness, by our kindness, by our gentleness, by our willingness to cooperate, by our willingness to be taught and submit to the God that you are worshiping and whose temple you're building. We'll, We'll do that. But no, they don't do that. The second they get turned down, what do they do? They're like, well, I'm going to undermine you. You know what? If you don't, if you don't do it my way, our way, you don't want our help, we're going we're gonna to undermine you. And so they immediately go about doing that, and they're quite effective at it. They, they stop the work of God for uh, quite a, a, a long uh, period of time, right? So what, how do they do this? Well, they don't actually kill anybody, and they don't, they don't actually blow anything up. They simply bribe other leaders to discourage them. They threaten them, and they make this weak little group of people quit the work that God had called them to do. And so here's the thing. Discouragement is a deadly disease. It saps energy, it cripples motivation, and turns us in on ourselves. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Are you discouraged? One of the uh, great things that happened this weekend is uh, our uh, our discussion, uh, the topics that we dealt with on the men's retreat are money, sex, and power. Uh, and uh, uh, those are very profound uh, issues in the lives of all Christians, particularly in the lives of men. And And one of the things that is true, one of the issues that we talked about yesterday morning, particularly uh, around the issue of sex, is the... The, the, the temptations that men feel uh, is that uh, they have a record of 20, 30, 40 years of failure, of struggle. And it tempts them to give in even more to temptation or just to quit struggling at all because it seems like it's a, it's a fruitless thing, right? Um, that happens so often. Some of you are uh, in the midst of difficult relationships, difficult family relationships, difficult marriages, difficult situations. And what, what's the temptation? Just to quit. To quit. Um, to take, to see that the work of the enemy and the discouragement that is against us is bigger than the purpose of God. So let's quit. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's just too hard. Even when I know the hard thing that is before me is simply continuing in the thing that God has for me, simply uh, submitting to the thing that God has for me, and I grow discouraged and I want to quit. So how do we... What's what's God's remedy for this? Okay, next slide, please, Colleen. Well, the first thing is this, is coming to grips with the fact that following Jesus is going to involve struggle and setback. Not just struggle, you knew that, but actually there may be times and periods in your life where it feels like you're you're having a setback. It, you know, setbacks are setbacks. They're hard. They're disappointing. We don't like them. I don't like them. You don't like them. 
maybe in your progress and, and, and loving somebody who's difficult, maybe in the progress of, of seeking some sort of discipline in your life. The fact of the matter is setbacks are not the end, right? Uh, uh, things, things might not be going the way we, we want them to, to, to go. We, our expectations might not be being met. But the fact is that setbacks are a part of what it means uh, to, to be a human being. And so what Jesus wants us to see is that he knows that about our lives and he knows and, and as he works on us, in us, and through us, that this thing is going to wax and wane in our lives, right? In the end, yes, we get the glory, but it is a jagged, hard path uh, to get us there. Jesus met with struggle and setback in his followers even when he was here. Remember, you know, they're, they're out in the boat. Jesus has just fed thousands. He's done all these remarkable things. They come up against the storm. He's asleep. And here are these, these guys that he's called, he's lived with, he's loved. And what do they say to him? Don't you love us? Don't you love us? We're dying here. And Jesus rebukes the storm and turns to them and says, where's your faith? I would say in ministry, that's a setback, <laughs> right? That's a setback. That's like, wow, I wish, I wish things had gone a, a little bit better. But secondly, faith in the promise of God is our best defense against this disease. Let me say that again. Faith in the promise of God is our best defense against this disease. Because the fact of the matter is, if we, if we fall upon, if, if what we want to make our primary source of encouragement, the circumstances of our lives, frankly, there are going to be times where the circumstances of our lives aren't that encouraging. But there is one source of encouragement, and that is the work of Jesus Christ, the love of God for us. Uh, that stands the test of time, that never changes, that is always objectively true and always for us. Here's the thing. You know, if you're struggling today with discouragement, if you're struggling today with, with wanting to quit, let me, just, let me just ask you this question. You know, what, where's the source of your encouragement going to come from? Well, it would be great to see some progress in your life, yes. But I am here to tell you that the source of encouragement today that will never disappoint you is the answer to this question. Is Jesus alive? If Jesus Christ is alive, if the tomb is indeed empty, if that really happened, if Jesus really lived, if he really died and he really rose again, then what I know is the most discouraging thing that could come against me has been answered and overcome in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me. So what that means is, as hard as life is, as difficult as my marriage is, as difficult as my disease is, as difficult as my job is, as difficult as my family is, as difficult as my ministry is, that is true. And if that's true, and he knows that my life is hard, and he knows that my work is a struggle, and he knows that there are obstacles and enemies against me, I can keep moving because I know the end in sight. I know that he gets the last word, and I know that his purpose cannot be thwarted. Here's the thing. Jesus never stops, and he never quits. 
He never stops and he never quits. He never stops and he never quits. His pursuit of us, his work on us, the the truth that he gives to us, it never stops. Just as he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross, he has set his face, his determination to see his people through to the end. If that's true, then I can find energy and an antidote to my discouragement in the fact that he gets the final word. For I received from the Lord that what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, let's confess our sins together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done, and there's no health in us. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to your promises declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, And grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that we may live godly, righteous, and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. I don't think my job's any harder than anybody else's job. You know, sometimes pastors like to play the martyr card, even though they're not really being martyred but they like to make people think they're like martyrs. Um, I do that sometimes, at least at home, but I I try not to do that too much, uh, too much in my job. But like any other person that works in the broken world, uh, we get discouraged. Uh, And it is amazing, you know, if you look back through church history at the people who God uses in most profound ways, struggled mightily against discouragement. The apostle Paul, who was such a focused blaze of fire about the gospel. Just look at how many times he says over and over again in his uh, letters, have I done this in vain? My, one of my favorite all-time pastors, preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, would get so depressed with his physical uh, uh, disabilities and with the slow progress of the work of God, that he would just climb in the bed and not get out. In fact, 
There were times where they were counting on him to show up to preach on Sunday morning. He just couldn't do it. I read about one of his assistants going to his bed with a copy of one of Spurgeon's own sermons and standing over his bed and reading to him the gospel that he himself had preached before. Wow. Wow. So how do we deal with that? If Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 15, then we can know with a certainty. Did you hear that? With a certainty that our labor is not in vain. If Jesus has risen from the dead, the paltry, weak, and often faltering efforts of our lives are not in vain. And in fact, are made beautiful, wonderful in his time and in his work. It is amazing that God can grow an oak tree that's this big around and 100 feet high from an acorn that big. He does it all the time. He takes gross, ugly caterpillars and makes them beautiful butterflies all the time, all the time. Those witnesses to us tell us the nature of our God and tell us that he gets the last word on life and death and ministry and the advancement of his kingdom. Mom and dad, are you, have you had it with your kids? And the faithful work that you're doing seems to be going nowhere. Don't quit. Jesus is alive. Sunday school teachers, children's worship leaders, have you had it with kids who can't sit still and who pinch the kids next to them? who are blatantly disobedient and rebellious to you, don't quit. Jesus is alive. Husband and wife turn back to back in, each, in the same bed, not speaking, not touching, not talking. Are you ready to quit? Don't quit. Don't quit. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And so as we come to his table today, we declare that as our hope and our antidote against the discouragement of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If that's your hope, you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He says to you today, I give you this reminder of my victory over sin and death to nourish you, to move you and to encourage you when all else seems to be in vain. Jesus is alive. It's not in vain. As the elders and deacons come down front uh, to assist me this morning, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, uh, all the bread 
his bread that is gluten-free. 